Well, our names are Teresa and Gumby. Welcome to Escaping Society. We wrote our own song so we wouldn't have to pay for anyone else's copyright infringement. And we live in a van and we eat from the trash. Making this podcast open for cash. You better listen up because we probably won't last. Because we can't compete with nonsense. Hypnotizing nonsense. I'm here with uh, Teresa. We are in uh, the outskirts of dirty old Durham in the, the big town of Bahamer. And uh, Bahamer. Bahamer. And let's see what's going on with us lately. We've been putting a lot of work into this wigwam that we're building. Um, getting a lot of, uh, man, we could talk about that for a whole episode, but we won't right now. And uh, Teresa, after being exposed to water and sunlight, eight after midnight, and she's got a gremlin hatching out of her, so... Um, <laughs> I think I have a cyst on my neck, and I'm going to be honest, it's really, really gross. So there's our life, <laughs> hobo life. Um, and this episode, I've been, you know, we try to, we're trying more and more to kind of talk about stuff that is relevant for our week, like things that come up, things that we find ourselves thinking about and talking about, or that are happening to us. And so... A few times lately, um, I say a lot of things about science. Like, I don't agree with science. I don't like science. I oppose myself. Uh, oppose myself. Oppose science. And a few people have asked me lately, like, what's up with that? Like, why do you oppose science? So, kind of like our season one drain on society, where we take on the question, how do you justify benefiting from a society you do not contribute to? We're kind of uh, addressing that. What do you have against science? And we kind of want to explore that and break that down a little bit. So um, I guess I'll start with kind of my relationship with science personally. I didn't really, you know, we all get taught a little bit of science in school, but I didn't really study in school. wanted to be a hobo, and I started really studying nature. And after a few years of that, I realized that science is another take on nature, um, especially physics. I was interested in physics, you know, this quantum realm, these atoms, you know, what, what are we learning about that? Because if I'm interested in trees and plants and animals and tracks and, you know, everything else involved in nature, isn't that part of it? So I started throwing myself into that. I was, I saved up money at one job, was living in the woods for a while, reading all these books on physics. And I'm not going to say I understood everything I read, but, uh, it gave me a lot of windows into things I hadn't encountered before that were fascinating. And that's a high school dropout 
Yep. Talking about reading physics books for the damn. And like I said, I'm not pretending like I understood all that shit. So (laughs) don't give me too much credit. No, I did. I did. I gave you credit. And so something that started cropping up more and more in these scientific books, there was like the Tao of Physics. Um, I think there was something called Science and Mysticism or whatever. But more and more, I was encountering actual scientists and physicists who were saying, yeah, we've discovered something that sounds eerily like what people were saying 2,000 years ago, monks and teachers. And so that started more and more pushing me towards mysticism because I started thinking, man, if it's the same truth and scientists are 2,000 years behind (laughs) and there's a path, a practice that you can intuit truth directly instead of just thinking about it, studying it, writing about it, and slowly, 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 maybe getting a little bit closer. And I say maybe getting a little bit closer. I want to take the the path that's direct knowledge. So um, specifically, I started getting into Buddhism really hardcore, sitting down, shutting up, and exploring my own relationship with everything, including myself. And uh, yeah, the Buddhism eventually evolved into more and more animism, um, which is kind of the camp I'd put myself in now. So that's that's roughly my relationship with science. That was my foray. At one time, I just want want you to know that I really relished science. Um, several years ago, if you would have met me, I would have been talking about all the shit I was excited about learning about in physics. So, uh, yeah, that's kind of where I'm coming from with it. Now, the title of this episode is Black Magic White Science. So. I wanted to define these words really quick um, so we kind of have an idea and understanding of what we're talking about. We can all agree on what, what these words mean. When I looked up the definition of magic, it said, the power of apparently influencing the course of events by using mysterious or supernatural forces. Now, I like the apparently, you know, and I also like the uh, mysterious. To me, those are very vague words, and I'll come back to them in a minute. I looked up the definition of science, the intellectual and practical activity encompassing the system, systemic study of the structure and behavior of the physical and natural world through observation and experiment. Ugh. Sounds like they're trying to cover a lot of bases there. And uh, immediately I'm thinking like, well, you know, if you don't understand the math and all this stuff behind science, doesn't that seem a little mysterious? I don't really even understand the definition you just read. Yeah. I mean, it's it's just a jumble <laughs> of words. But those are the definitions we're uh, kind of dealing with here. And Teresa, jump in there, because I know you did some research about, like, what science means in the definition of science. So, you know, don't uh, jump in there when you have a, a reason to. And, you know, these two definitions... I feel like are really biased. Like if you were an anthropologist and you had just come to earth and you read those definitions, having no idea whether our culture favored magic or science, I feel like those definitions would tell you right away, you know, magic, apparently influencing the course of events by using mysterious or supernatural forces. Who's to say that a shaman that practices some form of what we might call magic, that what they practice isn't any more mysterious to them then a scientist might say that science is not mysterious to the scientist. So that word seems very biased and misleading and uh, loaded. Um, And another objection I take to science is 
that science claims a monopoly on observation and experimentation. You know, when people talk about science, they often say, well, you know, I believe science is the best method for us to study reality, to have a relationship with it. And what they mean is by observing it, scientific observation, and the scientific experimentation and study of it. I think about the trackers. I mean, who were better observers than these indigenous people, these trackers, these people that noticed the seasonal cycles, these people that noticed the nuances of the footprints of an ant? You know, I don't feel like science has brought us closer to an observational mindset. Um, And experimentation, hell, we're working on this wigwam right now. And let me tell you, if you've never uh, tried a primitive anything, whether it's a trap or a method to make fire or a primitive shelter, there's a hell of a lot of experimentation involved. Trying this, seeing what works, trying something else. So these are not intrinsically scientific. Um, I would call them more just generally human. And I wonder, you know, our culture leans so much towards the only way to acquire knowledge is to um, to do it scientifically through scientific observation, um, you know, taking notes, all that kind of stuff. Is that the only way to acquire knowledge? Like I said, you know, I'm reading these books, you know, a long time ago on on science. And more and more, they're saying, wow, these mystics seem to have figured this out about, for instance, um, that things are mostly empty space, you know, the dreamlike nature of reality, things like that. Um, Indra's net, there's this really complicated scientific theory that's got to do with uh, a holographic universe, that everything is reflected back from everything else. And it's, I couldn't quite understand it, but they kept comparing it to this ancient Hindu story called Indra's net. And in that, every time the net crosses, Um, there's a jewel, and in that jewel is contained the whole rest of the universe. And it really beautifully describes this very complex modern scientific theory of a holographic universe. So to me, that suggests there's another way of knowledge, an intuitive way, a direct tapping into the source of that mystery. Um, And I resent science for blocking that out, for claiming a monopoly like, oh, the only way to learn something is scientifically. Um, I strongly disagree, and I think we've blinded ourselves by that. Science is one way to see things. It's not the only way. Yeah, I was just showing Gumby a, uh, a word that I came across in reading, and it's called pre-science or pre-scientific. So things like traditional medicine using herbs um, <laughs> is considered pre-science. Yeah. So we're now we're basing the entire timeline of everything on science. <laughs> and it's kind of a funny word, but it is helpful, too, because Teresa and I were discussing earlier, what is science? You know, I just read that definition in there, but, you know, it's so fucking vague. Like, let's read it again. Science, the intellectual and practical activity encompassing the systemic study of the structure and behavior of the physical and natural world through observation and experiment. Well, shit. By that definition, I'd say there were scientists probably 30,000 years ago if they knew how to make fire, if they knew how to hunt, because that's very practical. It's very intellectual. You have to think about what the hell you're doing. Um, You're observing things. You're experimenting to see what works. And what are you observing? The structure and behavior of a physical and natural environment. So what the hell are we actually talking about when we say science? Um, And this pre-science, that doesn't go along with the definition I just read. Um, 
So yeah, it's a slippery word like so many words are. When we talk about science, the approach of science is to use, you know, observation and experiment, of course, but what does that look like? Um, to me, it looks like a lot of measurements. Scientists like to measure things. You know, how long does something take? How big is it? What are its dimensions? Um, and of course, they use numbers for this. Um, they dissect things, you know, and there's a whole bunch of horrible experiments we uh, came across, Jesus Christ, <laughs> of uh, scientists cutting things open to see how it works, take it apart. Um, and objectification. My God, this is one of the most evil aspects, I believe, of our modern science. Science reinforces a view of the world and a relationship of the world that is extreme objectivity. And what I mean by objectivity is the observer and the observed. There's a separation. There's a mental glass wall there that separates us from we, the scientists, the observer, and the resources, the, the, subject. the subjects. It's a way of making things seem sort of dead, as well as um, applying numbers to them. It gives us power. It gives us a lot of uh, avenues of things that we couldn't do without science. But again, that's something else I want to bring up as a question um, later as we discuss this. Is is that a good thing? Numbers, um, you know, a lot of us have read John Zerzan and uh, some of my favorite things that question numbers came from John Zerzan. And I couldn't find any, you know, John Zerzan, his thoughts tend to be not nice little sound bites as often as I would like. Um, there tends to be a lot of paragraphs that you really need to read the whole damn thing to understand what he's talking about. So I couldn't find any great example from a John Zerzan book, but I, uh, he talked a lot about time and numbers. And something I found particularly interesting is that in a lot of indigenous cultures, numbers aren't something that they just haven't found. They understand numbers. They believe that they are damaging. Um, they believe that it's a dangerous type of magic to use numbers. It seems really funny to us coming from a culture that we're surrounded by numbers. <laughs> what are you kidding? Like every kid learns two plus two equals four. But uh, one of my favorite examples of this, and I've, I've said this before in other episodes, and I learned this from Derek Jensen, is there was a tribe that was in South America, and the reporter wanted to convey how stupid, how uneducated this tribe was. And they said that these these people in this tribe don't even know how to add one plus one. But as was explained in this Jensen book, if you hold your two fingers up in front of you, an index finger on each hand, and look at them, that looks like one plus one equals two. But also, if you look really closely, they are not identical. So to say one plus one equals two, you're starting to work a certain kind of magic on yourself. You're not looking at the differences anymore. You're just looking at the number. Suddenly these the, the infinite details of these two fingers that make them completely different start getting obscured. It's almost like a cloud, a shroud comes over them and you just see one finger plus one finger equals two. There are 10 coyotes over there. That's not, you're, you're starting to move away from the mindset of a tracker. You know, a tracker wants details. A tracker needs to know the nuances, needs to know that every snowflake is unique, needs to know that those are not 10 coyotes. Those are two adult males, one alpha and one beta, with three females, um, a bunch of cubs. One of the females is in heat. That's the, the universe, the rich universe that our ancestors, our pre-scientific ancestors lived in. And so I began to understand the possible danger of numbers. And again, I'm not trying to say, oh, don't count anything, but be aware. Think about what you're doing. 
think about when you turn something into a number. I mean, aren't we given a number as soon as we're born, the social security number? Mm. Don't we have like sayings in our culture that survive today? Like, I don't want to just be a number. We know it's a bad thing. We know it robs us of something. It robs us of our humanity, our life. So there's some black magic worked right there in those numbers. Um, and I can't stress enough that when they're using measurements and numbers, it is a way of seeing the universe, not the way. I feel like that's something that we're quickly losing and have all but forgotten in our culture. We think science describes the universe, period. That's the end of the sentence. That's a fucking lie. Science describes one approach to the universe. There's another way of looking at the universe that has nothing to do with science, that many of the things taught in science become completely obsolete and don't apply, like I just described with the fingers. Now, I read somewhere, and I can't remember where, I always want to credit this to Richard Feynman because I really like this guy, and he said a lot of things that got me thinking, but I'm actually not sure if he said this. But uh, one physicist that was studying, you know, the quantum realm, which is a whole fuckfest in itself. <laughs> how eloquent he, of you. Thank you. And that's not how he worded it. Mm-hmm. But he, you know, as he's studying quantum... One of the things that is fascinating about the quantum realm, quantum mechanics, is they find that things are sort of vibrating energy. Again, again, words fail us. Um, They don't even know what this shit looks like. They use math to describe it, and they can manipulate things through the math, but they don't know what it actually is. So when I say vibrating energy, it's just a way of kind of saying, like, it's not marbles, basically. And in this vibrating energy, they've done experiments, and it turns out that... There's many potential possibilities that vibrate out there, and only when things collapse into one solid reality does it become something that we can relate to. So he wondered, how is it that we live in a universe that math so eloquently describes this universe? What if math doesn't describe the universe? (laughs) But if you use math as your lens of looking at the universe then what you see is a universe that can be described by math. Now, before you think that's just absolutely fucking crazy, and what is he talking about? Did this physicist lose his mind? There's a precedent for this kind of thinking. One of the most extraordinary things I uh, ran across when I was studying physics is the wave-particle duality of light. So for a long time, it was a debate of the nature of light. You know, what the hell is this stuff? It comes from the sky. I can light a fire. Suddenly I can see things. What is light? And some people thought it was a particle, that there are tiny little, you might call them like birdshot, BBs, the marbles I'm talking about, that hit your eye, and it's a particle. It's a little tiny particle of energy. Other people said it's more of a vibration, a wave. So around the same time, and I I did not write down the details. I feel like it was the 30s or 40s around that time period. This was like the heyday of physics, you know, when the atom bomb was created. Like, to be a physicist back then was to be a fucking rock star. (laughs) So these two experiments were conducted independently of each other in different parts of the world, and one proved conclusively that light is a particle. One proved conclusively that light is a wave. Huh. Huh. (laughs) So these these findings came out, everybody was excited, and then suddenly they're looking at these findings and like, well, what the fuck does this mean? Science is supposed to prove things empirically. You know, if science proves something, that's the nature of reality. Isn't science the best tool for studying reality? 
Well, this called into question everything, because one of the things Einstein shared with us is E equals mc squared. And what that means is energy, that big E, is exactly the same thing as mass. Mass is condensed energy. This is how an atom bomb works. If you get certain unstable uh, masses, like uranium, and you trigger them, they start releasing energy, mass loads of energy. If you light a fire, you put that wood in there, it's mass. But because of the jiggling particles, it starts releasing energy. And so one piece of wood, as it dissolves, you might say, into energy creates fire, light, light. So when we're talking about light, we're talking about everything. The tree, your body, your underwear, that booger you pulled out of your nose, it's all the same vibrating energy as light. So what's true of light is also to some degree true of everything. And what they found is that if you conduct an experiment that whole idea of objective scientist looking through the glass wall at the experiment, and the experiment can be repeated, it has nothing to do with the scientist who stands back and watches, it got shattered. It got shattered around whatever this time period was, the 1940s, and we, we pretended like it didn't happen. We just moved forward. And I know some scientists, people that are familiar with this will take exception with my interpretation of this, but uh, feel free to debate me on this. This is how I interpreted what I understood. So what it turns out is the scientists who were expecting to find a particle, the experiment actually turned light into a particle. Light, it wasn't just that they got the experiment wrong. Light turned into particles. Hmm. The scientists who expected to find a wave, light turned into waves. Think of the implications of that. If everything is energy that takes the form of mass at times, and if I look at a tree and expect something of that tree... The implications are, possibly, I am physically changing that tree. When Teresa looks at me and expects something of me, expects me to be a certain way, it has an effect on me. You ever walk around somebody, encounter somebody that really doesn't like you, they think you're the biggest fucking asshole in the world, and you find yourself saying things that you don't mean to, they almost spill out of your mouth, and you walk away thinking like, what the fuck just happened? I kind of was a fucking asshole. <laughs> And then we, I think we justify it later, like, oh, it's probably the way they treated me and everything, brought out the asshole in me. But what if it's not? What if they actually altered you because of their expectations? The findings of this study were profound. They fucking blew me away. And uh, this is one of the big things that led me into studying mysticism instead of science. So that's why that physicist asked the question, what if by using math to study the universe, we're only seeing the universe that can be studied by math and become blind to the whole rest of the fucking universe. Science has always been used to prove what we want it to prove. Mm. Until we wanted the world to be round scientifically, they were proving that the world was flat. Um, and Teresa, I know you've, you've got like all the study and stuff. Like, are you like... Well, I was uh, I was gonna jump in there um, and talk about how yeah you were you were saying that people are trying to find what they want to find and there's this thing that happens because you got to remember that all scientists are human and they're gonna have all their biases and maybe want to get money for their studies for their their grant research and everything so um, there's this thing called harking which stands for hypothesis or hypotheses after the results are known. So what if what sometimes happens is that scientists do their experiment and then they kind of like 
fudge what they thought was going to happen and turn that into a paper so that it could be published and they can get money. Um, and what if sometimes when they're conducting these experiments, the results don't fit. And so those experiments don't get published and nobody knows about how many times the experiment didn't work the way that the scientist expected it to work. Yeah. And a couple things that come to mind as we're talking about this, um, like, the tobacco industry, for instance, hired scientists to prove that tobacco does not hurt us. And they created experiments that it did indeed were highly suggestive and for a long time carried a lot of weight and influence. Um, when you start looking for this, you find this over and over. Now, if science is so fucking empirical, science finds the truth. For instance, think about you know COVID-19. Think about uh, climate crisis. Think about all these stuff that the scientists are telling us as the truth. Then why is there still so much fucking debate within the scientific community? You might think like you get we get to hear all this stuff like oh the top scientists all agreed to this paper and they all signed it. Yeah, sometimes that happens. But when you start looking underneath it, you start finding a lot more debate than the media wants to let on in the scientific community. Different experiments that are saying opposite things. This is not rare at all. So what the hell are we studying here? For instance, green energy. This is a good example that I like to, to talk about. Um, you know, to promote green energy, scientists will do experiments to t say, like, how much energy is used to fuel a Prius versus a gas-powered car. Depending on what the scientist wants to prove will be how they say things. For instance, if you say it just like that, it's like, wow, we should all be driving Priuses. Why aren't these fucking assholes driving Priuses? It would save the world. Another scientist who maybe is hired by the oil company will just as truthfully point out cradle-to-grave cost to debunk the new green energy and say, well, what about manufacturing the Prius? Hmm. How much, like, it turns out that when we look at that, it's causing five times as much pollution to manufacture the damn Prius with the lithium battery and the lithium mines and this, this new technology than the old type of car. So even though while it's running, it might be more uh, better for the environment, we can't look at just that. Because every time you have one that's running, you had to manufa manufacture the damn thing. And why draw the line there? Let's look at the factory. How do you make the factory that manufactures the car, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera? You can't isolate something and pull it out of industrial society and look at it like it just popped up in the middle of the universe all by itself. You have to look at the whole web work. So how a scientist chooses to look at that, they can justify anything. And science is always used to prove whatever the person who funds the scientist wants to prove. Let's remember that science is a paid job. Um, somebody's paying them. And if you can't get somebody to fund you, you can't do science. You can't do modern science. All that simple shit, you know, like dropping an apple from a tree to study gravity, that's been done. You need a lab. You need uh, a lot of modern backing, a lot of financial backing. And who are the people that can fund a scientist? I mean, do you just feel like giving like thousands of your dollars every year to a scientist to just like learn? Like go learn anything. Go learn about the, the universe, you know, and tell me about it. I don't think there's a lot of those people out there. I think the people that have that kind of money, money tend to be corporate people, tend to be people with an agenda. And if you want to keep getting paid, don't you think you might feel a little bit of pressure to find a certain kind of thing? Because why are they going to pay you if by your studying what you find out, you come out with, they fucking lose their whole business? 
Do you think they're so noble? Would you be that noble that you're going to lose your livelihood by paying some guy to learn about stuff? So that kind of throws a whole stink on science. I used to work in a lab that was like a research and development lab. And I've mentioned the company before, but I'm, um, I'm going to remain anonymous this time. So I was working testing electronic components. And the tests were supposed to be, you know, if it, if it passes, that's great. It's fine. If it doesn't pass, test it until it does pass. But the problem is that that's not very scientific because once you're testing an electronic thing and you're running electricity through it, it changes it. There are parts within that part that are changed and it, it differs from a cold, not tested product or a tested product that then gets cooled off and is then put back on the machine. So I was basically told to test the products even if they failed, even if they failed again, even if they failed a bunch more times, test it until you get all the green lights and then it's good. And then you pack it up and ship it. And I just felt like that was, um, that was very dumbed down even for me to say that, but that's what it was. It was, it was science. Yeah. And there's that agenda again, you know, they had to, it's profitable for, for them to reach a certain conclusion so if you got to you got to experiment and test something five times to reach the proper conclusion that is uh, financially good for them, um, that's what they do, right? <laughs> yeah, it just reminded me too of this really, really disturbing experiment. Um, it's known as the two-headed dog experiment. Oh it, Jesus! It was done uh, by a, a scientist by the name of Vladimir Demikov. He stitched the head shoulders, and front legs of a puppy to the neck of a German shepherd. The surgery was a success in that both dogs could move around independently, but it didn't survive very long um, due to tissue rejection. In fact, the longest only survived a month, and then it makes you think the longest, what, two-headed dog? How the hell many did he do? It turns out there were 22-headed dogs. What the hell was he trying to do? And that story reminds me of another very, very disturbing... If you look up things like the creepiest science experiments of all times, the most horrendous experiments of all times, there are websites that are scientific-sounding websites like interestingengineering.com or bestpsychologydegrees.com that are happy to share these most disturbing experiments. There was one that was done in this uh, Unit 731 I mentioned during one of our podcasts on the presidents. And these experiments were carried out by the Imperial Japanese Army sometime around 1938, 37, 38. One of them, um, these, the, the test subjects, the people that were um, being, you know, tortured, were men, women, children, infants, the elderly, and pregnant women. Um, some of their organs were removed from their live bodies. Uh, they practiced amputating for the study of blood loss. And in some studies, they surgically removed the stomach and reattached the esophagus to the intestines. Just, I mean, I guess just to see if they could do it. 
Hmm. And they had, um, you know, prisoners of war, including infants, children, and pregnant women. And I can anticipate some of the uh, argument to this. Somebody might say, well, you looked up the creepiest scientific studies. Like, that's not everyday science. But uh, I used to date somebody that worked in a lab, and every day they've got these fucking mice. They've got different animals they're giving cancer to, that they're doing uh, experiments, you know, to see about behavior, about whatever they want to study. And I have the same question that I had when I was an outdoor educator and they asked me to, like, bring out a box turtle, you know, that we had in a box. What is being taught that we're not trying to teach? When you when you start doing shit like that to animals, sewing two pieces of a fucking puppy together, not to save it, not for surgical, but out of compassion, but out of let's see what we can do. What does that do to us, to a people that is willing to ignore that, to turn away from it, to benefit from it, and for the people that do it. Um, Another thing about science is it's so fucking often wrong. We talked about some examples. Um, One that occurs to me is, uh, I love that movie, that Quentin Tarantino movie, Django Unchained. Mm -hmm. And uh, I love it for a lot of reasons. It's just a fun, fun fucking movie to watch. But I was really interested in that part with Leonardo DiCaprio where he's, uh, I believe his name is Candy, and he's the the head of that plantation house. And they're all sitting there at dinner, and uh, Candy has been informed that Django is actually uh, a bounty hunter there to save his wife. And so he has this great scene where he brings out this skull, and he proceeds to go into this scientific diatribe of phrenology. Now, all the shit that he said in that movie was actually fucking believed by the scientific community at large at one time. And he goes to describe how this lump, you know, he says, my daddy used to get a shave from the slaves in this house once a week. Now, if I was sitting there, I'd have slashed my daddy's throat. Now, why does the black man not fight back? And he starts pointing out all these things in the skull that shows how inferior the black mind is. This was considered science at one time. We fucking know better now. We know all the pressures. You know, it wasn't a skin thing. This guy's looking from the viewpoint of his white privilege where he feels entitled. If he'd been beaten down and seen it since he was a kid that you step out of line, fucking horrific things happen, he might not have cut that motherfucker's throat. Mm -hmm. But that wasn't what science was saying back then. And, uh... Teresa, jump in here. I know you studied all these things about science being wrong. Give me something. Well, here's one. Um, Thanks for doing that, too. Um, So Gumby asked me to research, like, has science ever helped us? And something that I feel like a lot of people, especially like my, my parents' age, might bring up is the polio vaccine. Because that seems like, you know, uh. People don't want to get polio. They don't want to have a wasting of their lower body and and various other um, ailments that go along with that condition. And for our, basically our age, we don't really have that much direct contact with polio. So it's kind of like a thing of the past, even though, you know, it's still happening. And just real quick, polio, if you didn't know, is, um, is spread from feces to mouth. Um, This could include poop getting in your mouth, but it could also be because someone has handled your food or water or your water is contaminated with poop. Now, this is something they were wrong about? No, no. Um, 
there's also a way to get it through infected saliva. So there is still wild polio cases happening in the world. And I say wild because there are also cases of polio that are happening from the vaccine. Now, all right, polio has existed for thousands of years. It's even depicted in ancient Egyptian art. Uh, Major outbreaks occurred in the late 19th century in Europe and the United States. And from the Wikipedia article on polio, uh, it was saying that the poorer sanitation before the outbreak contributed to a natural immunity. So in other words, kids were playing around maybe some piles of poop or something. There was water. Maybe, you know, they were like splashing in the creek or something. And maybe there was a little bit of poop getting in there and they built up a tolerance to it. And if they didn't, well, they were probably selected out. The polio vaccine comes along and because when you get the vaccine, you actually have a weakened polio virus in your body, um, you poop out polio virus. And if it gets mixed into the water supply and children do not, in fact, have a, uh, a natural immunity to it, it can spread. So in 2018, there were 33 cases of wild polio just happened in the world but 104 cases of vaccine-derived polio. And in 2019, there were 175 wild cases and 364 caused by the vaccine. So while I guess I'm not saying science was wrong, it's kind of interesting to know that the vaccine is actually causing more polio than polio. Hmm. So maybe they were wrong to change it. And also, like it goes back to the sanitation system. Is that really a good thing? Or are we weakening our bodies by not allowing the natural immunity to happen to so many of these germs? And here's a bizarre thing about science. The closer we look at something, consistently, the less we know. Look at quantum mechanics. Like, one of the things I learned in science is the two pillars of science right now are general relativity, which describes the macro universe, the things we can see, planets, Stars, I mean, it describes them beautifully, eloquent. You can make predictions thousands of years in the future that there's a pretty damn good chance it's going to be right. Relativity is a eloquent theory that describes the reality that we have chosen to see. Let me put it that way. But when they start looking at the microscopic universe, the, the atomic world, the quantum world, Everything breaks down. The time doesn't work the same way. Space doesn't work the same way. Quarks can divide up. And actually, like, according to relativity, nothing can move faster than the speed of light because light has no mass. You can't move faster than that. And yet, they find in the quantum world that two things that can be on the other side of the universe can affect each other instantaneously. All kinds of crazy shit. They find these particles that seem to be moving backwards in time. They find this froth of quantum just popcorn of things that are like aren't real yet, but if they get enough energy, they come into the real world and manifest. I mean, it gets crazy and nobody fucking understands the quantum realm. 
Another physicist once said, it's like we got the cookbook, and we know if we follow these recipes, certain things can happen, and that enables us to use technology like cell phones and satellites and some of this crazy shit we do now, but nobody understands what we're doing. They don't know what this is we're using. They don't know how this works. They just know that if you say the, you get the right spell book and you say the right mantra, you know, presto, boom, the spell is manifest. It starts sounding kind of fucking magical to me. <laughs> um, but the point is, they looked as close as they could to find that they didn't understand a damn thing, to hit a wall of we don't know what the fuck this is. Another interesting thing about this is supposedly there's one universe, right? That's the whole premise of science. You know, It's the description of the physical universe. But there's two theories, and both of them describe the universe, but they're incompatible. They're paradoxical. They don't fit together. And so ever since this came to light, a big push <coughs> in the scientific community is to find what they called gut, the grand unified theory, G-U-T. And man, the effort to find a theory that describes reality that encompasses both is crazy. They come out with like parallel dimensions that they must be multiple, multiple universes on top of each other that are all happening simultaneously because nothing else is, describes a universe that can have both things happening. Um, you start getting into some crazy shit. Super string theory. And to me, these are all fancy ways of saying, oh, I don't know what the hell that is. Um, it's the great mystery. That's what I think when I, I hear this. Um, and yeah, nothing has ever eloquently, definitively described the universe we see. So we've got these two theories that still won't quite fit together. Um, I don't even hear it talked about much anymore. I feel like science is just kind of like, all right, let's, uh, all right, we found out some weird shit about wave particle duality and stuff like that. Let's just put that on the shelf and, uh, you know, start experimenting on fucking cats and shit. So we got that. Um, Science originally started with monks. You know, we got Johannes Kepler and Tycho Brahe. He wasn't a monk. He funded Johannes Kepler. But some of the origins of science were to find God. And we have so completely failed to find God through God's works that now science is pitted against religion. Science has, like, not found any trace of God. And I don't know what your understanding of the word God is. I know it's got a lot of stigma for a lot of us because of these assholes that take over religions. But to me, God represents the sacred, the holy, the meaningfulness, the brimming life, the light. The unknowable. Yeah, the white magic, if you will, you know, ignoring the racist overtones of that for a minute. Um, the good stuff, you know, and science describes a universe completely bereft of a god. It's all mechanical. It's all machine pieces. It's a, it's a, it's a practice of exploitation. If everything's dead and works like a machine— then what is it to fucking tweak something over here and pull apart over there and stick it over here, you know? It's just like playing Legos. Yeah, there, I was going to say um, what people think about science nowadays. Because I thought maybe, uh, maybe I understood other people when they say, like, oh, I believe in science. You know, science is the, the best thing ever. It's, it's, you know, it's basically their religion. But I had no idea how far and how deep that went. So I typed in uh, something about, like, you know, can we live without science? And there's this page called Quora, 
And I guess it's where people ask questions and other people respond. And these other people aren't necessarily, you know, experts or whatever. But one of the responses was, um, can we live without science? Sure, if you don't mind catching your breakfast first thing in the morning, dying of trivial diseases such as an ear infection, not having the luxury of windows or light, and so on. In short, you can live without science if you don't mind being an animal. Mm-hmm. And yeah, when Teresa told me that, that fucking floored me because that could be read in a symposium full of very liberal people and probably not get any protest. Think of how that's the most fucking racist thing I can think of to say. Live without science? You know, like, is that not another way of calling these pre scientific indigenous people animals in a very dismissive, like, derogatory way? Um, and not to mention what it says about animals themselves, you know, as very subjugated lesser things. Um, and again, when I think about science looking closer at things and finding less, the origin, you ever thought about the origin myth of our, of our culture? Tell me what you understand as the origin myth of our, not our culture, the universe. Oh, are you talking about like the Big Bang? No, no, no. Are you talking about the Big Bang? Is that how you understand how we got here to the best of our culture's knowledge? Yeah, to the best of our culture's knowledge. Tell me about it. What is it? Oh, uh, yeah. So there was nothing. And then all of a sudden, there was like a lot of stuff. (laughs) Basically, that's it. Yeah. Now, does that make a lot of fucking sense to you? <laughs> Those same people that will tell you that will laugh derisively at a myth about, like, God putting, you know, a naked woman and naked man in a garden or, you know, that a turtle came up with mud on its back. But uh, <laughs> those savages, uh, there was a big uh, a boom out of nothing. There and, might have uh, been a bounce also. Yeah. And so that's where it all came from. So, again, another example that the closer we look, the less we find. Because, you know, when I started studying that, like, what the fuck is the Big Bang? They called it a singularity. You know what the singularity means? All scientific knowledge breaks down. It's a really fancy way to avoid saying, I don't fucking know. (laughs) And science is really good at finding ways to say, I don't know. Um, Every age, you know, I feel like people in our age have this arrogant view of like, okay, science was wrong. They did a lot of experiments, but I trust science now. They figured out stuff. So listen to the scientists. These are the experts. I know you can give me examples in history over and over that they were wrong about stuff, but they got it figured out now. We always have that bias from the present, that arrogance. Don't you think 300 years ago that they thought they were the modern people? That was the present, and they said the same fucking thing? Um... It just doesn't hold water to have that much faith in the scientists who are so consistently wrong. It's a very clumsy tool of studying reality. Um, and, of course, the, debunk, the, the debunked objective observer whole paradigm thing, you know, going back to that, that's another thing that the closer we look, the less we find. Now we find out that we can't even objectively stand outside of an experiment and watch it. Just by fucking watching it, you're part of it. There's no way that you can step outside of it and watch it. If you saw it, you're part of it. Uh, Schrodinger's cat. So it seems to all bring us back to this indigenous concept of the great mystery. When we, we hear the universe described in indigenous cultures over and over, you know, there's creation myths, there's stories, but what is God? The great mystery the mystery, the spirit that moves in all things, it's intrinsically unknowable. 
you you can't dissect enough stuff and count enough stuff to know the great mystery. That's fucking madness. Do you have a sickness? What's the matter with you? Of course not. That's ridiculous. It is the great mystery. It's not ours to know. It's ours to, to receive the blessings and to relate to all these other beings on the planet. It's a whole different way of being here. It's not less... Um, I would say it's more in the fact that it is sustainable. It allows people to live in this universe in a way that actually like gives them security, gives them true joy, gives them a future for their children, which science does not provide us and never has. So in that way, I'd say it's a better way of looking at things. Yeah, it seems like um, also from what I was reading about, like, can we live without science? Wow. People really want to defend science as if it's the underdog. And and it's funny because religion does the same damn thing. <laughs> like, why don't we let God in the schools? Organized religion, yeah. And it's just, yeah, it, it really blew my mind to see how scientists, well, science is for science's sake. You know, we have to perpetuate science because science created a lot of problems. So we need more science to fix the problems that science created. (laughs) Yeah. There's a parable that I shared in Quinn's Boiling Frog, but I I really like it. So I'm going to share it again really quick. Um, It's such a good illustration of how science can lead us to the exact wrong conclusion. So there's a scientist and he's got a frog and he's experimenting on this frog and he cuts off one of the uh, hind legs and says jump. And he's training the frog to jump when he says jump. And the frog tries to jump. He's got three legs. He does a pretty good job. And, you know, the scientist records his findings that the frog still responds to the command. Cuts off a front leg and says, jump. Well, the frog, frog's lopsided, but he's obviously trying to jump, kind of wiggling there. And, all right, that's good. You know, writes that down. Cuts off a third leg, says, jump. With that one leg, that poor frog, he's twitching. He's trying to jump, but it's obvious that he's trying to obey the command. So he jots it down. He cuts off that fourth leg, and the scientist says, jump. Frog doesn't do nothing. Jump. Frog stays still. <laughs> so the scientist dutifully, as a good observer and experimenter writes down in his notebook when i have removed all the frog's leg the frog has gone deaf Hmm. (laughs) so i just love that illustration of how you know it seems so very logical but using that intellectual way of thinking can lead you in completely the wrong direction um and and not even to mention anything about the abuse to the poor frog yeah yeah, that's another part of that that was really illustrated well, that he'd be fucking cutting off a frog's legs, not to eat, but just to see if he goes deaf. Hey, can I take this opportunity to talk about the old mouse and the young mouse? Please, I need to drink some beer. Okay, drink some beer. Um, there was an experiment that I probably have the date for, but not right in front of me. Did you say the old mouth and the young mouth? Mouse. Oh, mouse, okay. Like a little squeaky yeah, yeah. animal. And what the scientists did... Uh, was take an old mouse and stitch a new mouse, like a young mouse, onto it. Not new, young. And in this way, the blood from the young mouse apparently rejuvenated the old mouse in both uh, cognitive processes and in its like muscles and organ tissue. And I thought that was really disturbing. And there's a word for it that's used. It's called parabiosis. And that's where you have something. It was actually um, inspired by conjoined twins. Um, just the very idea that, you know, a scientist looked at a conjoined twin and was like, oh, I wonder what else I can stitch together and see what happens. Um, like the two-headed dog experiment. But that's not the end of this story. 
Um, November 15th, 2016, there's this article from New Scientist, and it talks about another newer experiment where the blood from 18-year-old human teens was used to inject, or excuse me, the plasma into a an old mouse. Mouse, squeaky mouse. <laughs> and it was found again to rejuvenate the old mice, improving their memory, their cognition, and their physical activity. And they're studying this to possibly use as anti-aging treatments, especially uh, around things like Alzheimer's disease. Now, you might appreciate the science and say, wow, you know, that's a, that's a really interesting and unique study. You might have someone that you love, that you care about, that's going through some problems right now and maybe, you know, selfishly wish that that could happen for them and they could be, you know, talking to you and telling you things about the past that they all of a sudden remember. But what are we doing? Like, what is the problem with having a life and, and living your life living life, not being dead, and then dying. Not to mention the fact that um, when people start losing, you know, you brought the example of like your parent remembering things. Sounds to me like Alzheimer's disease. Not to mention that so many of these processes of our mental shutting down come from civilization Mm. fueled by science. So that's something that strikes me when you said that. Were you done? Well, another thing I wanted to bring up is, you know, when I started thinking about science, I realized that science, even though it likes to separate itself from religion and the adherence to science, huh, yeah, um, the adherence to science really like to, oh God, how do I word this? Like inflate science. Science is the answer. I'm not religious. No, like, you know, these occult people that like just believe in like pie in the sky when you die and stuff like that. I believe in the scientific method. We believe in science in this household. And when I started thinking about science and these fucking experiments like Teresa's sharing with us, I realized that science is every bit a faith-based religion, and the zealots of science act every bit like people involved in a faith-based religion. (laughs) You want some examples of the faith-based aspects of the scientific religion? Um, Man has dominion over the earth. There's a big one. Um, That's a big part, a big cornerstone in the Abrahamic religions that, you know, spurred off into Hebrew, Muslim, Christianity, That's also there in science. Nothing has ever told us we're in charge of anything. Indeed, if you're very scientific and are using your powers of observation and experimentation, every time we take charge, fucking disaster ensues. Look at the entire fucking planet now. Science is in charge. It is the dominant (laughs) religion. You better bet your fucking ass. Who ever said we were in charge? If I was being scientific, I would question that. Who are we to fucking pick up mice and put them in cages and inject them with cancer cells? Who the fuck gave me permission to cut open live dogs to see how a fucking circulatory system works? That's a faith-based decision. That's not scientific. Um, Manifest destiny. The fact that Life isn't satisfactory. We have to improve it. 
That's something that drives science. That is not a scientific thought in itself. It's one of those invisible thoughts behind the scientific thinking. All right, let's just take for granted without looking at it scientifically that this isn't good enough. All right, this isn't good enough. Things need to improve. Remember last year when we didn't have quite enough food? That is unacceptable. That's not a given. Another way of looking at that is sometimes we're short on food. Sometimes we have a surplus. That's the natural course of things. So there are faith-based thoughts underneath the science. Science still pushes us to reach as far as we can, terraform Mars, change things. Even your fucking smartphone, the best technology that there's ever been, it ain't good enough. It better improve next year because you better get that new thing. These are faith-based thoughts. They are not scientific thoughts. And when you dig deep enough into science, that's what you find, a faith-based religion. Every bit as crazy as any religion you've ever encountered. Um, one of the, the things I hate that I hear a lot is uh, these studies that come out that rate the intelligence of animals. Oh, did you know that a crow is as intelligent as a 10-year-old human? <laughs> My God, like... That offends the scientist in me. Even by their own standards, that's fucking ridiculous. Um, when I looked up the definition of intelligence, here's what I got. The ability to acquire and apply knowledge and skills. Do you think a crow doesn't have the ability to acquire and apply the knowledge and skills necessary to be a fucking crow? So here we are, the humans, coming up with an experiment that is testing its ability to acquire and apply the knowledge and skills necessary to do something a crow doesn't need to fucking do, except in this arbitrary experiment. What do you think would happen if the crows were designing the test? <laughs> they can't even fly. Yeah. What if the <laughs> crows designed a test? Stupid. I yeah. <laughs> what if the, their test was something simple like, oh, I don't know. Let's see if you could live on your planet for 10,000 years without fucking yourself over. <laughs> hmm. We did it. I guess we're fucking geniuses. <laughs> it's so skewed. And I can't believe like that. These are the kind of things that stand out to me like red flags. Like these are fucking sometimes evil and at best, insane people. The science is a dark, deep, dank fucking black religion. Um, and again, you know, all this ra racist undertones. I wish I had a... And I'm offended. Yeah. I'm sorry, Teresa. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, this whole, like... And, and also rating the intelligence of ourselves, you know, the IQ test. I'm telling you, there are people that are fucking like flunk IQ tests, that by an IQ test, they're fucking stupid. And they take them out in the woods, and those motherfuckers will go out and do amazing things. Their powers of observation are piercing. And then I bring out some fucking Harvard graduate, you know, and take them out of that environment that they excelled in, that they, you know, scored high on the IQ test. And get them out there, and all I see is entitlement. I see them not being able to absorb the reality of their situation. I see them start to wither. You know, this, this whole concept of intelligence is fucked up and skewed and extremely biased. Um, and doesn't intelligence depend hugely on our surroundings? Like, if you have intelligence in one place, let's say, you know, I'm really intelligent at math. I mean, I can fucking do things with math that, like, you don't even know what I'm talking about. 
But then take me out in the woods, and we're in a very unmathematical situation. I've got a problem like, man, how do I uh, – God, i got to get some meat. You know, I, I, I learned a few plants. I'm feeling weak. Man, I need some protein. And math is completely useless. There's no equation that helps me do that. <laughs> Suddenly that thing that seems so intelligent is completely useless. And the person that knows how to look at tracks, how to fucking find that food, suddenly they're the genius. It's such a relative term and it's so arbitrary. You can't make studies of that. And that's just one example um, of how science can lead us astray. And I contrast science with wisdom. You don't hear wisdom brought up too much in science. You don't hear them doing studies on wisdom. I don't think they could. God God help me. I hope they don't try. <laughs> but here's the definition of wisdom. The quality of having experience, knowledge, and good judgment. In other words, living your fucking life. That's wisdom. Doesn't that sound like somebody, the quality of having experience. I've done stuff. I haven't sheltered myself. I'm not inside all the things, the house with playing on the computer, all the things science has designed for me. I fucking experienced my life. I got outside. I have knowledge of it. And from those things, I have good judgment. Doesn't that sound like somebody who would actually like create a good world to live in rather than an intelligent person? I throw my chips behind the wisdom. And, um, you know, some of the things that I, I found when I was studying science blew me away. Like I mentioned a couple things already. But another thing is that we are mostly empty space. That was another thing that was revealed in um, quantum mechanics. And again, this is scientifically proven. If you're going to give me any shit about like, oh, listen to the experts, here's something the experts are telling me. You're not even barely there. You're mostly empty space. I've heard it said that if every atom were the size of a football stadium, the only solid matter inside is maybe the size of a tennis ball. And even that's debated. Your dream stuff. You're mostly empty space. When you touch something, it's magnetic f forces that feel like resistance. Otherwise, you'd pass through it like a dream, like a, a phantom. That's magnetism. It's not even there. I'm tapping this lunchbox. We have our iPad leaned against, and I'm tapping my finger on it. My finger stops. I'm barely there. I'm mostly empty space. So is the lunchbox. That's just magnetism. Just the way when, when you have magnetisms, uh, magnets pushing against each other, they can repel each other, you know, depending on which way you have them. The same exact phenomenon. And those are one. that's one of those things that fucking blew me away. Like, time is relative. You know, we all have felt that. The E equals MC square. Um... You know, I brought up the A-bombs and fire. And all this stuff, to me, you know, when you put it all together, it describes this dreamlike reality of nature. You know, science is treating the universe like it's a mechanical equation. And all we have to do is keep inventing things, changing things. It's a very physical, mechanized world. And the more mechanized it gets, the fucking more miserable we are because we are not machines. We are not fucking machines. And all this describes a universe that sounds suspiciously like that that the mystics described so long ago. Um, in Buddhism, what I read is ancient descriptions of reality that say, you are a bubble on the creek. You are a flash of lightning. This is all a dream. Wake up. Wake up. This is all a dream. 
And even science, even the dogma that comes from science itself starts describing the very way of looking at the universe that it has decided to pit itself against. And I find that very suspicious. Um, I think we're going to end this episode here. We're going to make a part two, which, uh, you know, please tune back in for part two. We've uh, done part twos before and we try to avoid them because it seems like people don't often tune back in for part two. Um, They just tune in for part one. So we got so much ground we wanted to cover and I want to do it justice. So I'm not going to try to skip around here. But uh, Teresa, you know, no urgency. There's no uh, fire here that we need to run from or anything at the moment. Um, is there anything you want to kind of close with here? Any thoughts of what we've talked about so far that you want to add before I uh, go into our outro? Um, well, I I don't really have anything specific, no. I, uh, I was going to mention something, but it might be in your stuff for next time. I was going to say that uh, I wonder if taking things apart is inherently human, but the way that we take things apart, like our intention behind it can be human or non-human. <laughs> Ooh, that was juicy. Yeah. I think that word that you brought up intention is really important because, um, dissection, you know, it wasn't like native people didn't cut open an animal and learn anatomy. Mm-hmm. It wasn't that they didn't like play with dead bodies to see how they moved and everything. But there is kind of a gray area there that I, uh, yeah, I need to look closer at too to see where I'm drawing that line. There is something about the intention. There's something to me that lacks so much compassion when you start sewing puppies together. You know, that to me doesn't feel like the spirit of indigenous people. That's different than like cutting open an animal that like you use the parts of the animal. You're going to eat that animal and your children are going to learn. And you have ceremonies to try to like appease this this thing you've done. You have a recognition of what you're doing where scientists seem to have no recognition. It's a math equation to them, Um, that black sorcery, that dead universe. But anyway, I I definitely want to get back into this and there will be a part two of this soon um, because this is a uh, topic that's really important to me and comes up a lot. So for our listener write-in, um, we have Julie from Adrian, Michigan. And lucky you, Julie, I have no fucking idea how somebody from Michigan sounds, so I can't do an accent. <laughs> so I'm just going to have to read it. And uh, she writes, and she had just listened to The Upside Down. I'm an official listener now. Thank you for sharing. Um, thank you, Julie. And that was a long time ago. So, uh, you know, give us a, drop us a line if you're still listening. We'd love to hear from you. And, uh, yeah, the Upside Down. Man, do you remember doing the Upside Down, Teresa? Sort of, here and there. I remember we weren't feeling that good. I think I coughed up a couple loogies during the episode, Mm -hmm. and I thought it was, like, a shitty episode. So I'm amazed that that's the one you listened to and that hooked you. (laughs) Um, Hopefully we've gone uphill from there. Yeah, that was uh, one of those episodes I was like, man, I've got big intentions for this one, and then we record it, and it's like, fuck, what happened? Yeah. That happens sometimes. Yeah, we have those. And if you ever want to see an example of that, go to um, Carter through Trump. Uh, We agree that that is our worst episode ever. We had such big intentions for that. My God, that is four hours of, uh, you know, get really fucked up and like turn it into a drinking game. No, don't waste your life. (laughs) Yeah, whenever I want to. You live that four hours, listener. When I want to torture Teresa, I like play that episode. I'm like, we're going to listen to that one. Get ready. So contact us at our website. Uh, it's www.escapingsocietyb as in... No, you didn't do the Weebly part. 
escapingsociety.weebly. Oh, I didn't do Weebly? No. All right, www.escapingsociety.weebly. B as in, what's the first B word you think of? Bonkers. Bonkers. I thought of botulism. I don't know what that says about either one of us. Dot com. We have a Facebook page um, called Escaping Society. I have recently put together two of my uh, favorite pastimes, which is taking pictures and writing random thoughts and discovered I can make memes. So I'm cranking out those white hot memes I'm always making fun of people doing. That's me now. I'm doing it. And uh, yeah. Oh, we also have recently posted a video of a 1940s experiment that we brought up in um, one of our Fuck You podcasts, Fire Trucks Given, I believe, of uh, I gave a Fuck You to Animal Experimentation. I mentioned a video from the 1940s where German scientists actually cut off a dog's head and animated it, and it would still respond to stimuli. I think that was Russian, but same. Russian. Yeah, I think you're right. And uh, Teresa found that video, and we posted it. So that's also on our Facebook page. And um, you're going to have to go scroll down a little bit because this isn't going to come out for 10 days. This is our first episode we've recorded since the new year, even though uh, Tranny Granny is going to come out tomorrow. So um, we recorded that 10 days ago, last year, right? <laughs> yeah. So last year. So last year. And so done. Um, we got a YouTube channel. We're trying to put out videos, you know, to, uh, we look at like kind of our podcast as philosophy, things we want to talk about and explore verbally. And our videos are like how to, so any new skill we learn or a plant we want to share, you know, we try to do a video on it. So definitely try to, uh, if you're interested in anything we're talking about, um, check out our YouTube channel. See if, uh, we have some stuff there to back up kind of what we're explaining if you're not clear or even if you are, and we got a donate button on our website. Um, we, of course, love donations, so if you are financially able, if anything in these episodes has educated you, challenged you, inspired you, entertained you, consider making a financial contribution. Um, we are hobos. Um, we recently got into kind of a uh, debate with somebody who uh, took offense to our use of the word hobos, and we're like, we fucking are hobos! <laughs> we are actually ho- uh, homeless and migratory workers. We are the definition of hobos. You're offended. <laughs> we're offended that you're offended. We just pulled weeds, a.k.a. wild greens, today. Yes, we did. Like hobos. <laughs> um. Yeah, so that helps uh, fund our lifestyle if you are able, and it's kind of like our little, uh, this is our cyber panhandling, I guess. So that's our cardboard sign. But if you're not, you know, if you're like us, kind of, you know, trying to scrape by on the bare minimum that you can, and, you know, you don't have that uh, option, please send us a question or a comment or a story or a joke. We love hearing from our listeners. We love seeing, you know, like what you think about what we're doing, what you want more of. Um, for instance, some people told us that they want more interviews. And so we have actually reached out and tried to do more interviews. Um, so we try to listen to that shit. Um, but anything else, Teresa? Nope. All right. We will, uh, look forward to part two of black magic, white science. Bye. Oh, society sucks and we don't need it. It's killing your kids, so why do you feed it? They'll tell you to stay, but you don't need to heed it. You can give them the finger. There's no time to linger. So, thank Thank you.
Thank you for listening to our song. It's not very good and it went kind of long. Don't care if you like it cause we'll be gone over that next horizon. We ain't got no 